Vanessa, and you are listening to From Boise. Today is February 13th, it's Valentine's Eve, and our story today is all about candy, (laughs) specifically the Idaho Candy Company. This is such a good story. You're going to love it. I did not write it. It was written by Julie Sarasqueta. Such a great story for her to write. She did an amazing job. I know you're going to love it. Um, I'm just here to read it. So as a reminder, this was written by Julie. So when she says like, I or my, she's talking as Julie. I'm just reading it. I'm reading it as Julie. And also this story has some amazing photos that go along with it. Idaho Candy Company was nice enough to send us a bunch of photos to use. So they gave us a huge folder of a bunch of like historical photos. It was really hard to pick and choose what should go in the story. But I encourage you to go check those out, you know, like after you get done listening or as you're listening, whatever. I don't care when you look at it, but you should go look at them. Um, You can find those in your inbox or at friendboise.com. All right. I'm just going to get into it because that's what I'm here to do is read this story. So this is a story about all about the Idaho Candy Company. It was written by Julie Sarasqueta. My family loves sugar. It's a staple food right up there with eggs and milk and bread and olive oil. Luckily, we also have two dentists in the family. And when it comes to treasured treats, nothing captures our attention quite like the confections from the Idaho Candy Company. This love affair has been going on for decades, starting with my great-grandma Juanita. When she immigrated to America, she found a job working in the house of the Friedman family in Haley. Long after she married my great-grandfather, she started her own family and moved to California. The Freedmans would send her a box of Hawaii toffee from the Idaho Candy Company every Christmas. She would share it with her grandchildren, including my dad, and in the process created generations of fans. When I told that story to David Waggers, the president of the Idaho Candy Company, a big smile broke out across his face. It becomes part of family's histories, he said. It's a part of your family's legacy because you've been getting it for years and years, and that's what I love, end quote. A holdout of Old Boise. When T.O. Smith founded the Idaho Candy Company in his home in 1901, Idaho had been a state for only 11 years. Boise was a growing city of just less than 6,000 people. The Mercedes, the first modern car, came out that same year, but in Boise, people were getting around on horses and electric trolleys. And folks in the city of trees, like Americans across the country, were sugar fanatics. In fact, the early 1900s were something of a boom time for the sweet stuff. The United States had gained control of sugarcane-rich places like Cuba and Hawaii, and suddenly candy was a whole lot cheaper to make. In Idaho, the Almagated Sugar Company was busy extracting sugar from sugar beets, which, by the way, the Idaho Candy Company still gets its sugar from Almagated's plant in Nampa. With so much supply, candy makers like Smith could get creative and make candies that would appeal specifically to their local fans. By 1909, Smith had graduated his from selling his confections door-to-door to to constructing a state-of-the-art factory on 8th Street. Idaho Candy Company products are made and sold there to this day. You've probably passed by the building. It's located in Bodo about a thousand times without giving it a second thought. But the Idaho Candy Company factory is the last actual factory in what used to be Boise's thriving warehouse district. When I arrived for my interview with Waggers on the first day of this year's, quote, snowpocalypse, he had spent his morning shoveling so trucks could make deliveries in an area that wasn't really designed for modern vehicles. 
He said, quote, trucking companies will get a little frustrated with us sometimes, but usually a bag of candy will solve most of those gripes, end quote. His neighbors also have to get used to working next to an active factory. He said, quote, we've got four stories, so about 23,000 square feet, but we get 53-foot trucks in our back alley and downtown. And as you're sitting in this factory, you feel it. There's some vibration there, and it shakes a little bit. And it's connected to the building on either side, so our neighbors have to be a little tolerant of what happens over here, end quote. The factory itself is amazing. It's not open for public tours. I made a very last-minute request, and Waggers was nice enough to walk me through for this story. The ceilings are high, and the original wood is painted white. There are long wooden tables for sorting and packaging and old windows. The building has skylights and a break room for employees. Both were very modern additions at the time of its construction. The factory has undergone extensive upgrades over the years. So much of the equipment has been replaced or modernized. But there's still a couple of holdouts. Every time you bite into a cherry cocktail, for instance, you're enjoying something that was created on a machine that's over 100 years old. A short and sweet history of the Idaho Spud Bar. The Idaho Candy Company has churned out dozens of different types of candy bars over the past 123 years, but nothing is as iconic as their Idaho Spud Bar. I say this lovingly. It's odd. Even Waggers describes the Idaho Spud Bar as a weird candy bar. (laughs) It's oval-shaped with a marshmallowy filling and decorated with flaked coconut. Most modern marshmallows are made with gelatin, but from the beginning, the Idaho Spud Bar was made with agar agar a vegetarian substitute derived from seaweed. That's what gives the bar its unique texture. It breaks when you pull it instead of stretching like a campfire marshmallow, Wagger said. The Idaho Spud Bar trades stretchiness for a very moist consistency, which people aren't necessarily ready for all the time, Wagger said. And it's got a different flavor. I mean, it has a maple and more cocoa, but people don't even notice the maple until you tell them, he said. And just like another American classic, Oreos, which debuted the same decade as the Idaho Spud, fans have a very specific way of eating them. Some people tear off all the chocolate, Wagger said. Everybody's got their own way, he said, but my wife thinks that she has the best way to do it. She'll buy rejects and melt them down and make chocolate fondue, end quote. I shared that with my family and I could hear light bulbs going off hundreds of miles away. (laughs) The Idaho Spud Bar can be found on price lists from 1918, Wagger said, but most likely debuted around 1912 or 1913. Thanks to internet selling on Amazon and Goldbelly, specialty candy shops, and on social media, the Idaho Spud is finding a new audience. Just type in hashtag Idaho Spud Bar on Instagram or TikTok and you'll see what I mean. The fun thing about having a small regional candy company is that not everyone has had it, Wagger said. I mean, Hershey's bars and Nestle are ubiquitous across the country, but most likely someone in Georgia will never have even seen an Idaho Spud bar. The Idaho Spud may be the flagship candy of the Idaho Candy Company, but it's certainly not the only kind. There's the Old Faithful, first manufactured in 1925, as well as the Owyhee Butter Toffee, which debuted the same year. The Cherry Cocktail came out in 1926. Huckleberry Gems, which rolled off the factory line in 2012, and University of Idaho-themed Vandal Bars are the newest additions on the lineup. You'll also find tons of bulk candy at the factory store on 8th Street, like peanut brittle and red burnt peanuts made in old copper candy pans. The nostalgia for these candies is intense. 
Fans will tell Waggers that they remember when the Old Faithful was made in a round shape. Waggers said the shape changed around 1972. They remark about the, quote, new shape of the Idaho spud bar. Before 1968, the bar was sold in two different sections. Lots of people want me to do lots of different things, he said, and I try to not make changes, especially to the core items, not unless we absolutely have to. I don't change recipes. Sometimes we end up paying more for things, but I don't like to change suppliers or ingredients that we buy because then it will be slightly different, he said, end quote. This episode of From Voicey is sponsored by Anthony's Restaurant. If you're looking for a delicious dining experience to celebrate Valentine's Day this week, head on over to Anthony's. Anthony's Restaurant has a very special Valentine's menu available through Thursday, February 15th. So you've got two more days. Enjoy a Valentine's Day toast for two, complete with two glasses of champagne paired with four fresh oysters on the half shell. You can also choose from three incredible entrees, including fresh wild Alaskan king salmon, finished with champagne and rose peppercorn sauce, and served with craisin pistachio rice pilaf and seasonal vegetables. Mm. They are also serving rich and lemony lobster risotto, or go for the filet Oscar crowned with Dungeness crab and a delicious Bernanese sauce. Anthony's is known for serving fresh Northwest seafood, which is flown in daily. That's hard to come by here in Idaho. Treat your lover to a meal they will not forget at Anthony's. The cutthroat world of candy. You can discover all sorts of regional treasures by looking at the bottom tier of the candy section at a convenience or grocery store. Give it a try next time you're on a road trip. You'll find Farr's Mallow Nut Bars in eastern Idaho, Cypher's Vallow Milk Candy Cups in Kansas, Abba Bars in California, Pearson's Salted Nut Rolls in Minnesota. There's a whole treasure trove of sweets out there if you can get past the wall of Snicker Bars. But why do you have to get past the wall of Snickers bars? The fact is, it costs $5,000 just to get a new candy bar into a grocery store like Winco because of slotting fees. That's what a manufacturer pays a store to feature its product on store shelves. It's a tough, tough gig, and you better be willing to put some money behind it, Wagger said. When you go into a convenience store, he said, you'll notice that around 90% of the candies are made by Hershey's, Nestle, and Mars. They can easily pay $10,000 per store to stock their candies. That's why smaller regional companies are regulated to the bottom rung. Waggers is sanguine about the arrangement. His dad, John, an accountant, bought the Idaho Candy Company in 1984. He also bought a distribution company that Waggers' family has since closed. I mean, I get it, he said. We used to run those programs through our distribution company. It's been a while, but I was fairly familiar with how they worked in the market and how they squeezed and how they maintained their market share. I mean, they're good at what they do. Also, if you'd really like to dive into this topic, I'd recommend the book Candy Freak, A Journey Through the Chocolate Underbelly of America by Steve Almond, which also features Waggers and the Idaho Candy Company. The Candy Men. Waggers didn't intend to enter the candy business. His dad purchased the business because he thought it, combined with its distribution arm, could be profitable. Waggers graduated high school, and he and his dad started work at the Idaho Candy Company on the same day. He continued working summers there, but didn't envision himself helming his dad's business. Until the longtime plant manager, a candy maker who had learned the craft in his native Germany, announced his retirement in 1991. Suddenly, John Waggers needed a replacement. 
he asked Dave Weggers and his brothers whether they would like to take over. We're all business guys, he said. We don't know how to make candy. At the time, Dave Waggers was living outside the state and was looking for a chance to move home and a chance to get to know his dad better. He received about three or four months of training before taking over. And then I had to learn how to run a candy company and how to make candy and how to fix candy machines and how to take care of this old factory, he said. But he's been doing it ever since. Waggers said the Idaho Candy Company's sales have grown every year. At least it's still growing, Wagger said. How do I make sure that's still happening? During our interview, I noticed a prototype molds on his desk for new candies. That's the dreamy stuff you get to do. You know, we can make spud bars all day long, and we do. And we hopefully sell a lot of them. But I always like to sell more. And I have to get it out there. I have to get those slots in those placements, because if I don't, people will forget. You know, there's so many new people in Idaho, and I have to find a way to introduce it to them. Waggers and his family have run the Idaho Candy Company for 40 years, but who will take it over once Waggers retires? His wife is a dentist. My kids always said, dad rots the teeth and mom fixes them. (laughs) And their children are following her into the medical profession. That said, Waggers and his family like owning a candy company. His job, as he sees it, is to make the company successful enough so that the next owner can make it work. My dad always said this, and I agree with him. He said, it's not like we really own the company. We're taking care of it. We're taking care of it for Idaho. You can purchase Idaho Candy Company products at the factory located at 412 South 8th Street, as well as in grocery stores, drug stores, and specialty stores throughout Idaho and much of the Northwest. Candies are also widely available online, including on Amazon, Gold Belly, and on Etsy. Again, this story was written by Julie Sarasqueta. You can read it in the newsletter or at fromboise.com. Thanks for listening.